Our text this morning is John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. And this is a very important passage within God's Word, within the Gospel of John especially. It is one that uh, we are probably familiar with. It is a very beloved passage. It is a passage that gives hope, that gives peace, that gives great encouragement to many of us who recognize our own failures before our Lord. We have here that Jesus is focusing upon Peter. And we're going to try to understand why that he is focused upon Peter specifically, as he was in the previous verses, really. A lot was aimed at Peter. And of course, as we go through this passage, it will become very evident to us of what is occurring, at least to some extent, that as Jesus is getting ready to ask Peter if he loves him three times, it's of course going to correspond to Peter's three denials of our Lord. As we discussed last Lord's Day, that Peter in the state that he was in, you know, this, is, this is a very broken man. He's a very sorrowful man. Here he had denied his Lord three times after telling him that he would give his life for him. His failure was great. His fall was great. And as we discussed last Lord's Day, for Peter, perhaps it was more uh, of a situation in which maybe he thought to himself, I failed as a disciple, but I am a good fisherman, so I'm going to go fishing. And the rest of the disciples go with Peter, and they go fishing. They don't catch anything, of course, as we had talked about that this was perhaps an indication of what our Lord was getting ready to tell them and getting ready to show them that you're not going to go back to your former life, that your failures are not going to bring you to this state in which I cannot use you, I have something for you. And that is what we're looking at today is that restoration of Peter after his great failure of denying his Lord. This is, this is a concern, as, we look, as we're looking at Peter, this is a concern that we have at times as well, that as we look back in our own lives and we wonder, you know, Lord, can, can I even be used in light of what it is that I've done? Or maybe it's recently. Maybe it's something in your life even recently that has occurred, that you have failed, you've morally failed, whatever. And you ask the Lord, can I even be used by you? Is it even possible? We often wonder that. As we, have, we recognize how heinous sin is in the sight of God, and when the times occur that we, that we sin so greatly, we, we wonder, can I even be used? And that's Peter's concern. And I pray that as we work our way through this passage today, that it will surely give peace to our hearts and that we may know as much as we are able to know of the depths of God's love and his grace towards us, even in view of our failures and sins. So if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> We're looking at John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words. Let us give our attention to the Holy Scripture. So when they had finished breakfast, 
Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, thank you for this portion of your word. Thank you for the hope and peace that it brings to our hearts. As we often view ourselves in the same place as this man, in view of our failures and our sins. And we pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit of God would do a mighty work within our hearts, lifting our countenance towards you, allowing us to rejoice before you because of your amazing grace and your amazing love that is never taken from us. Thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves. And may Christ do a mighty work within our hearts today to make that a reality in our hearts. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children said, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> the dialogue that occurs here is one that is truly amazing when we begin to, to understand the exchange of what is happening here. And if I could just take a few moments and maybe we can just kind of set the scene a little bit as to perhaps why Jesus is focused so much on Peter. Why not the rest of the disciples? Did not the rest of the disciples do similar to what Peter did? They fled. They abandoned Jesus. Why Peter? Well, if we look back, hold your place there. And let us look back at a few passages of Scripture and let us see some of the things that Peter had said to the Lord. <clears throat> In John chapter 13, Jesus announces to the disciples after Judas has left the upper room, looking at, jumping in at verse 33, here's what Jesus says. Little children... I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow 
until you deny me three times. Here our Lord is giving the disciples a new commandment to love one another in the same manner that Jesus has loved them. And he says he's getting ready to depart. And Peter is really, in one sense, boasting of his love and his devotion to Jesus in this passage. Where, where are you going? I'll lay down my life for you right now. And Jesus announces to Peter that he is going to deny him three times. This is in the upper room. And apparently this seemed to have come up again. So when you look at Mark, excuse me, Matthew chapter 26, we have the second time. And I do think that this is a different, a different occurrence here, that this is not the same time of, of Jesus just announcing that to Peter in John chapter 13. In verse 30, they were in the upper room. And now in verse 30 of Matthew chapter 26, God's word says, After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They're no longer in the upper room. So apparently, as this was announced to Peter in the upper room, this is on his mind. This is on his heart. Jesus has just told him, you're going to deny me three times. Will you really lay down your life for me? You're going to deny you, you even know me. And now, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter, again, but Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Now, I really believe that this is the second time in which this has occurred. Jesus has told Peter, announced this to Peter, that you're going to deny me three times in the upper room. Then they sing the hymn, they go out towards the Mount of Olives, and it comes up again. And Jesus announces to Peter again. Peter is very confident here that he's not going to do this. He is overly confident. I will never do this. Even if all fall away, Lord, I never will. And he hears for the second time that he's going to deny him three times. And so when the time comes after Peter has announced to the Lord of his great devotion and his great love, that he really loves him more than all the rest because he's not going to be the one to deny him, to fall away. When the time comes, that's the very thing that he does. He swears and he curses the third time that I do not know the man. And then the Gospel of Luke tells us that as the rooster crowed, Jesus looked and he saw Peter and Peter saw Jesus and Peter went out of the city and wept bitterly. This is a very broken man. He is the one who boasted more so than the others of his love and his devotion to Jesus. Now, again, his fall was great when the time come. But again, why is Jesus so focused on Peter? In one sense, you could look at this and you could say that Jesus has a special place for Peter and what he is commissioning Peter to do. And the reason I say that 
is in Luke chapter 22. This is when they're still in the upper room, and this is giving us more of the account when Jesus announces of Peter's denial. After, after they had taken the cup and, and Jesus had instituted the new covenant, all of this, they began to question who's the greatest in the kingdom. Since we've been over that, Jesus begins to speak to them about the Gentiles and how the Gentiles lord over people, all of this. But as he is explaining all of that and he's explaining what they are going to do, he says to Simon Peter, he looks at Peter and he says to him in verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once again you have turned, strengthen your brothers. Now, Jesus is announcing to them during this time in which they're considering who's the greatest and he's giving them the understanding of what it is to be in the kingdom, all of that. He says to them, and he says it to Simon. Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. And this is in the plural. Sift you all like wheat. To violently shake your faith. He's demanded permission for all of you. But then he uses the singular when he speaks back to Peter. Satan has demanded permission to sift all of you like wheat. But you, Peter, I have prayed for you. And when you... Peter, turn again. Strengthen your brothers. So he has announced that Satan has desired to tempt them in this way. Violently shake their faith. But Jesus is speaking then to Peter that it's going to be Peter whom will build back up the rest of his brothers. And how can he do that? Because it's going to be his fall that's going to be the greatest among them all. And it's going to be precisely because of that, that he's going to be able to strengthen his brothers, strengthen the other disciples, because it's going to be in this dialogue, in this exchange, in which Jesus is going to recommission him. He's going to extend such grace and love to Peter that it will once again give him peace, build him back up, that he may look then to the other disciples and be able to strengthen them. And that's one thing to notice within this passage back in John chapter 21 is Peter's humility. After everything that has happened, Peter perhaps thinking that he's going to go back to being a fisherman. He failed as a disciple. Well, Jesus is going to tell him otherwise. So the passage tells us, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and notice he doesn't call him by the name Peter he uses his name when he first met him, back in John chapter 1. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And perhaps, as some theologians think, maybe he's kind of waving his hand towards the other disciples. You had bragged about your devotion and your commitment to me, Peter, more so than any others. Do you love me more than these? Bringing in the comparison there. And again, Jesus, in, in, this, in this exchange, yes, it's as we're going to read in verse 17, it's going to grieve Peter's heart of, of what Jesus is asking him and what 
how our Lord is asking him this three times, and yet it's going to be because of that that the healing will come to Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus is using the word agape, which is that higher form of love, the highest form of love. Peter, do you love me? Not just with your your heart and your mind, but with your will. Do you love me with that higher form of love? Peter doesn't respond back with the same word. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He uses the word phileo, which is the affectionate love. Peter is unwilling to say to Jesus that I love you with that highest form of love that you're asking me of. Because he is a humbled man. He recognizes that he was way overconfident, way too prideful. And now that he has been humbled the way that he has through that whole ordeal, he is unwilling to use the same word. Lord, you know that I have affection for you. He doesn't compare it to any other. He doesn't say that he loves Jesus with even greater affection than any of the rest. He says, Lord, you know I have affection for you. Jesus says, tend my lambs. And we'll come back to that. Here, Jesus asks him a second time. This time with no comparisons. He's not asking Peter if you love me more than anyone else. He's asking Peter, once again, do you love me? Using the same word. Peter, do you love me with that highest form of love? And again, Peter is unwilling to use the word that Jesus is using. He uses the word phileo again. Affectionate love. He acknowledges, yes, Lord. He's affirming, he's affirming his love for Jesus. He's affirming his heart belongs to Jesus as much as it can. Peter thinks that this is, this is all the love that he can give. But it's not the highest form of love of which Jesus is asking him. So the second time, Simon, son of John... Do you love me? Not in comparison to any other. Do you love me with that higher form of love? Yes, Lord. You know that I have affection for you. Jesus said to him, he says, tend my lambs the first time. He says to him here, shepherd my sheep. Then the third time. And again, you see the scene here. Before him, when Peter had denied our Lord, he was standing around a fire with others. And now here they have a charcoal fire going, and he's standing around it with the others. And Jesus gives the opportunity for Peter, in light of his three denials, to reaffirm his love for him. Three times. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this time, Jesus uses the same word that Peter has been using. Simon, son of John, do you have affection for me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? 
Of course, he'd be grieved in his heart because this is in recognition of his denials. It hurts. Peter is, is not offended by what Jesus is saying. He's sorrowful of what, a Jesus, of what Jesus is saying. Peter does switch up some words here too. He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter has been using <clears throat> this word for no. Lord, you know I love you. Lord, you know I love you. And then the third time, he's been using this Greek word, oida, except the third time. Peter uses that same word plus another word that means no. He says to him, you know all things, you know that I love you. He's using the word oida, and he's using the word gnosko. And so Peter is saying to Jesus at that third time, you have the... All the objective, factual evidence, Lord, you know. And you know the very depths of my core, the inner man. You know that I love you, that I have affection for you. And you see how Jesus is using that word? He comes down to Peter's level. Peter's unwilling to say that he loves him with that higher form of love. And Jesus condescends and he says, Peter, do you have affection for me? And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, I can work with that. I can work with that kind of love, Peter. You love me as much as you're capable of loving. I can work with that. And what does he say to Peter? Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. He had failed so greatly. Satan was given permission to sift him like wheat to shake their faith, and Peter failed. As the rest of the disciples did as well, Peter's failure was greater because of everything that he had promised Jesus beforehand. And yet here is Jesus extending the grace and the love back to Peter, reaffirming his love for Peter. And even honoring and rewarding Peter's love for him. And see that. Jesus' love for Peter. You see how, that he's, he's a humbled man. Incapable of, of comparing himself to any other now. Because of what has happened. And Jesus is asking him these things right in front of everyone else. But you know what Jesus is doing in front of everyone else. Jesus is acknowledging before all the rest of the disciples that he is that he is devoted back to Peter as much as Peter is to him. Jesus was never not devoted to Peter, even in view of everything that Peter would do. And that's part of the point here, that Peter, throughout the, the ministry of our Lord, had told him a number of times, I will follow you, I will not deny you, I will lay down my life for you. And you see how that works within, within friendships even now, that you want to express to someone else, how much that you're devoted to your friendship or your commitment to them or whatever. And so you keep saying things. You want them to hear it verbally. And that's how Peter was doing with Jesus. Jesus, I want you to know how committed I am. But he did not take into account that Jesus knew the hearts of men. And he knew all that would take place. And still in view of what Peter would say to him, and in view of the denial that Peter would later do, Jesus' love for him was still to the fullest measure. 
You know, you read back in John chapter 13 that Jesus loved them to the end. Jesus loved them to the fullest measure is the idea there, even in view of what Peter would do. And he recommissions Peter before the other disciples as well. This is this amazing grace that's being presented here. He loves Peter in view of Peter's failure to love him with the highest form of love. He rewards Peter's devotion to him, even though that Peter cannot say to Jesus that I love you with that higher form of love. A.W. Pink says this, In suffering his apostle to fall, the Lord's mercy comes out most signally, for that fall was necessary in order to reveal to Peter the condition of his heart to show him the worthlessness of self-confidence and to humble his spirit. And Jesus achieved what he intended to do in the heart of Peter through this. And think of that. He is, he is not only reaffirming his love for Peter and, and, and all of that and allowing Peter to, to reaffirm his love. He's commissioning him to pastoral ministry, even in view of his failure. Do you see that? Jesus isn't saying to Peter, because you failed so greatly, Peter, because you denied me three times, I can't use you. You probably need to go back to fishing. Because I can't use you, Peter. He doesn't do that. In view of Peter's great failure and his sin, Jesus says, I want you to do something for me. I'm going to entrust to you, the thing that means the most to me, which is my sheep. That's what he says to Peter. We don't do that. We see folks that have committed a great sin or something like that, and we say, you know what? God can't use you. You need to find something else that you can do for the Lord because obviously it's not going to be to edify the body of Christ. You've disqualified yourself. We're very quick to do that. But here's a man who is swearing and cursing that he did not know Jesus. And Jesus says, I love you, Peter. It's okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look after my sheep. The ones to whom I just died for and gave my life for. That I love them that much. But I'm going to entrust them to you. Feed them. Nourish their souls. Be a shepherd to them and bring them in because they're prone to wander. Feed the small, feed the great. Look out for them. Even in view of Peter's failures. That is one of the greatest gifts of the gospel itself is knowing that our Lord saves us in spite of ourselves. And he uses us in spite of ourselves. 
we think and we, we get so down on ourselves and maybe we even try to disqualify our own selves from being able to do anything because we have failed so greatly. And yet we don't think of the words of our Lord and we don't think that way towards one another. We think you did this. Well, you're done. And yet Jesus is saying to Peter, you're not done. You're not done until I say that you're done. Take care of my sheep, Peter. That is the kind of love and devotion that Christ has for his own, even in view of all that we are, all of our weaknesses, all of our shortcomings, everything. He still loves us in spite of that. His love is never diminished. And he still calls us and uses us so greatly for his kingdom. That's, that's our great shepherd, our good shepherd. He's bestowing such a great privilege upon Peter to use him. William Hendrickson says, Attachment to Jesus is an absolute prerequisite for rendering service in his kingdom. And in tender mercy, Jesus is willing to bestow this great privilege upon one who lays claim to nothing better than the humbler, though still very precious, type of love. You're never going to love him in the way that he is worthy to be loved while you're here. It's never going to happen. Our love for Christ is always going to be lacking. Our devotion to Christ is always going to be lacking. But the great gift of God when we get to heaven is, one day we will do this perfectly. We will love him with the kind of love that he deserves. We will be devoted to him with the kind of devotion that he deserves. And yet in the meantime, he says, you're still mine. And I'm still using you. And I'm building my church with you. Here's what I have for you to do. That's, that's the great love and devotion of our Lord Jesus Christ to us. And his pastoral duty. This isn't just, Peter, I need you to be a layman in the church. Because you can't do anything else. He says, tend my lambs. Shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. They've been entrusted with the care of Jesus' flock. And that is in itself something so extraordinary because it's so much unlike us. <laughs> it is very unlike us. We are too quick. We are too quick to pronounce judgment upon another in the sense of saying to them, you're done. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how Christ was to the, to the disciples. But notice this as well. Jesus is extending this great grace and this great love to Peter. He's giving Peter an opportunity to reaffirm his love. He's showing Peter the depths of his grace towards him. And yet Peter keeps relying upon the knowledge of God. The knowledge of Christ himself. 
you know how I feel about you. You know my affection for you. He's appealing then to the, to the omniscience of Christ our Lord. I can't keep telling you things. I, I, I can say things over and over and over again. But Lord, you know the depths of my soul. You know my affection for you. You know what I'm really about. You know everything that there is to know about me. That's where our appeal should go. In spite of what anybody else thinks, oh Lord, you know my love for you. Because you know the depths of me. The depths of my very soul, you know. You know, in one way, that can be a little scary at times. Knowing that our Lord knows us in that kind of a manner. But it's also a very comforting, very comforting truth as well. To know that you don't have to keep saying things to try to convince him of your love as you do for each other. You rest in his sovereign knowledge that he knows. He knows my love. So Peter is being commissioned back to pastoral ministry in order to tend the sheep of the good shepherd, to be the under shepherd, to do what he's been called to do and to do it to the best of his ability, to try. He's going to fail, but he's going to continue on again. Because throughout this, he is recognizing, as it is throughout the entire Gospel of John, it is not how well you do that is the condition of God's love for you. It is not how well you do that is your justification because Christ is your justification. It is all within his power with, with his work in us that brings us along and continues to bring us along until the end. And so we love Christ with the love that we are capable of loving him with as much as we can. We don't... We're not self-confident here. We don't want to get overly confident to say, I am so devoted to Christ that nothing, in the, nothing else is going to tempt me to do anything. Because that's where Peter was, and Peter's fall was great because of that. You recognize that as, as, as people that are in Christ, yes, we are devoted to Christ as much as we try to be. We want to be. We desire that. But we often find ourselves in situations or in circumstances in which we would never think we would be there. And that's how life often goes. I do the things that I don't want to do. These are the things I want to do, and yet I can't do them. But again, what are we relying on? We're relying on the grace of God extended to us, His love extended to us, and the Spirit of God working in us in order to bring us along to do these things. I mean, that's where Peter was at. He had to be fully reliant upon the, the, the Lord himself to do anything. Not in his own power. It was all within the Lord's. There was an older song. And this, this, was, this, is what, this was Peter's life thereafter. As you read First and Second Peter, that's his devotion to Christ. That's his encouragement for the others. Because of his ordeal and what he had been through. That he, he had such a great fall and yet such a great extension of the, the grace of God to himself. That he was then able to turn to the others and say, this is, this is the grace of our Lord towards you. If he forgives me after what I had done, surely he can forgive you. 
And that's where Paul goes into in 2 Corinthians 1, that we comfort each other with the comfort wherewith we are comforted of God. The same comfort we have received is the same comfort we give to another, and we encourage them of God's grace and God's love. And you see that in Peter's epistles. There was an older song that my dad and uncles used to sing, and it was called, Peter, Do You Love Me? And as you get to the end, it says, As Peter grew stronger in the faith, he preached throughout the land. He walked and talked and prayed to God, obeying his command. Then one day he met his fate. They said they nailed him upside down. And these are the words we may have heard as the hammers rang out loud. Lord, you know I love you. I've tried to feed your sheep. Lord, you know I love you. I've took care of the weak. Lord, you know I love you. I've tried to be so strong. Thank you, Lord, for using me. Now I'm ready to go home. That really captures much of Peter's life thereafter because of what he has been through here. Oftentimes there are failures. They bring us down. They cause us great sorrow. And there are times in which the Spirit of God is bringing it back to our minds and our hearts. And it hurts. And we grieve. we're, we're grieving over what it is that we have done. And yet it's going to be the same Spirit of God who then lifts up our countenance to say, But Christ's love for you is never waning. Not one degree of Christ's love for you is lost. You're his. And he has commissioned you to do work for the kingdom. Don't let your failures convince you that God is done with you. Or that you're no good to anyone. If you are in Christ and the Spirit of God dwells within you, then yes, you surely have great things that you can do for the kingdom in order to build up the body of Christ. You're not done. You're not done until the Lord tells you that you're done or the Lord takes you home. So in the meantime, even in view of, of our failures, we recognize that Christ loves us in, in spite of all of that, in spite of who we are, in spite of the things that we think. We see that clearly within the passage of Christ's great love and devotion. So as we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks, whatever it is, whatever your failure has been, whatever it is that's causing you sorrow and haunting you in your minds over what, what sin that you've committed against the Lord, you have to let it go. Forgetting what is behind, I press forward toward the mark of the high calling in Christ. Let it go. And let Christ himself be the one to heal your heart, to lift up your countenance, to give you peace, and to set you back on the path that he has chosen for you. Dear friends, your work isn't done yet. And think of, think of how great God's grace is. Think of how great his love is that he is willing to die, that he was willing to die, to become the object of God's intense wrath against sin. He endured it. He satisfies the justice of God, and he extends grace and love to you. He's paid for it. So, if we are forgiven in him, we must forgive ourselves and we must start anew. And you're going to fail again. You're going to fail again. Because on this side of heaven, your devotion will never be perfect.
So what happens when you fail again? You start anew. Again. What happens when you fail thereafter? You start again. What if I keep failing? My desire is to do this, and I find myself often sinning, as we do every day. What do I do? You start again. Because his mercies are new every morning. Remember that. He isn't waiting for you to mess up that he can, that he can penetrate your heart with such, with, with such sorrow and, and grief. Throughout your sorrow and grief over your sin, he has shown you how gracious that he is, that he's still bringing you home. He's still bringing you to himself, and he is continually changing you to start anew and start again. That is the grace of God that has been extended to us, dear friends. Your failures, we're going to have them. But God's grace and God's love is greater than our failures, greater than our sin, greater than anything else we can do. His love is much greater. So let us rest in that. Let's pray if you would. Gracious God and our Father, thank you for this portion of your word. And thank you for the great hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that he paid for our failures for our sins, for our wickedness. He paid it all. And even in view of everything that he knew that we would do, he still called us to himself through the Spirit of God. He still justified us in your sight by crediting his righteousness to us and our unrighteousness to him. Even in view of the life that we would have thereafter, Father, He still preserves us that we may continue to believe and continue on our journey throughout this life. Thank you. That salvation is truly a work of God and not anything of ourselves. Because if it were left left up to us, as one brother said this morning, if we could lose our salvation, we would. But thank you for your preserving power that keeps us and holds us and keeps moving us forward. Help us, Lord, to overcome uh, our sorrows and griefs over what it is that we've done, either recently or within our lives, the things that still haunt us. Father, let us be assured and give us that great encouragement and comfort to know that Christ paid our debt fully. Nothing is lacking in his sacrifice. Let us rest in knowing that your love is continually towards us and never wanes, never diminishes one degree. Thank you for your amazing salvation and your amazing grace. Be glorified in your people. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen.